welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to Epiphany. This is the first Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany is between Christmas and Easter, and it is a season that celebrates a number of things traditionally in the church. Um, Four in specific. They are uh, this idea that God has been made known, divine manifestation, that in Christ, the divine has made itself known in the world. Um, One. Two, this idea of royal kingship, right? Isaiah talks about that there will come this savior whose kingdom shall never end. And so the introduction of God's kingdom into the world is talked about in Epiphany. Uh, Three, that light has come. So in Advent, we wait in darkness and the light of God arrives in and through the birth of this baby Jesus. And now we celebrate and work out the implications of what does it mean to be living in an illuminated space, right? So that's three. And then four, I love this word, the royal nuptials. It feels like we're watching the crown or something around here. Um, but the idea is that in the scriptures it talks about um, Christ has a bride, and that bride is the church. And so what does it mean that now Christ and this bride uh, are, are moving towards this marriage that's talked about in Scripture. So those are kind of some of the ideas in Epiphany that we work out and that we're, trying, we're thinking about. Um, we have been walking through and started walking through the Gospel of John last week as we walk through Epiphany and towards Lent. And so last week we started the story with John the Baptist. And we find John the Baptist outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, outside of the structures, the temple and the people, the religious leaders, and he's inviting people who have ears to hear and eyes to see to come and enter into, through baptism, this symbol of water, this new thing that God is doing in and through the Messiah. And so we'll pick up that story in John 1, verse 35. So if you can, I'll invite you to stand. We'll read the text and then we'll see what we can find in it. John says in verse 35, the next day, John the Apostle, not John the writer, John the Apostle, Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I I just mixed that up. Erase what I said. The next day, John, the Baptist, not John the Apostle who wrote the book, was again with the two, two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come and see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will now be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, which is a risky question. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, He is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. 
And then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention and our hearts towards uh, the scriptures, uh, first and foremost, thank you uh, for the gift that they are, for uh, all of the faithful people throughout history and time who have preserved and who have worked for them to be preserved. So thank you for the gift that they are. Thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to us through them. And so I pray that that would be the case today as we study and um, enter into this story that you would... uh, Reveal something to us about who you are and who you've called us to be. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So there's a lot in this passage, a lot of things I'm not going to talk about. Um, Jesus says, you are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's a tip back to Jacob, who deceived his brother from whom Israel comes. Um, The fig trees is often a symbol of abundance and like the kingdom coming. Lots of things we're not going to spend time on. What I want to do this morning is I want to take an idea, which I think is present in this passage, and I want to sort of filter this idea through the story that we just heard in John 1. Um, we're, going to do some, uh, we're going to take some things apart this morning. We're going to deconstruct some things around this idea in hopes that as we read this story and just ask this story, what does it say about this idea? Uh, hopefully, what remains is true. And worth keeping. Sometimes in religious circles, people throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You get a new group of people around, and they start challenging what has been taught and said, and they throw things out. They're like, let's get rid of all this. I actually went to a conference once when I was a youth pastor. It was like one of the first emergent youth conferences, if anybody remembers this. It was an actual organization. And they had this, like, this, Friday, this evening session where they're like, put up an idea, and they're like, should we throw it out or should we keep it? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But sometimes that happens, and we throw out good ideas because maybe there's some things that are tricky about them or haven't been understood well. That's easy, right? Deconstruction, that's the easy work. Anybody can do that. Anybody can beat up a straw man. Anybody can be critical of an idea. But the real hard work is like reconstructing something, building something. Uh, I want you and I want this community to be known for that work, right? Any um, fixer-upper fans out there? Chip and Joanna, right? Chip's favorite day is demo day. Anybody can do demo day, but the real money is in the details. The real money is in the finished carpentry, right? It's like putting it back together. So I hope that as we spend time talking about this idea, that we either begin the work on this idea or continue the work of trying to build something that we can stand on and stand in and live from, a foundation from which we can live intentional lives of faith in the world, all right? That's what we're attempting to do this morning. The idea is this little word called evangelism. Now, evangelism, because I think in this story, what we see, what we find, is a group of people who are sharing what they found, right? They're testifying about what they've seen, and they're offering it to one another, multiple times. Now here's an all play, and an all play is a question that I'm going to ask you that I really actually do want you to respond to. Sometimes in church, rhetorical questions are asked, and I used to have the sixth grade teacher, she would say, you know, asked a question, and then she'd say, that's a rhetorical question, don't answer it, because not very many sixth graders know what that is, but you all, you're bright people. This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer. The question is, the all play question, when I say evangelism or evangelist, What comes to mind? 
Just shout it out. Speak loudly so we can all hear. What comes to mind? Evangelism and evangelist. Preacher, soapbox. Billy Graham. Altar call. I heard something else over here. Door knocking. Yes. Tracts. Yep. Street evangelism. Somebody in the first hour said turn or burn. What else? Run. Pressure. Missionary. Did I hear colonialism? Yes. Very sophisticated answer, but yes. Yeah. A bullhorn guy came up first hour, which, you know, usually I like to be um, gender aware, like, and say, bull or bullhorn girl. But who's ever seen a bullhorn girl, like, screaming into a megaphone? No, it's usually men, so I'm just going to go with bullhorn guy. Anything else? Evangelist or evangelism? Say it again. Uncomplicated. Uncomplicated. Okay. Say, louder. Safe. Save, yes, saved, yep, totally. Friendship, pressure, souls. Man, this is hot. There's a lot here, right? I mean, this is a mixed bag, and there's a lot going on when we say evangelism. I think for many of us, I'll speak for myself, when I hear the word evangelism, sometimes fear creeps up. Uh, pressure, I heard said, absolutely, like pressure to make it happen. Um, seal the deal, <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you this story. <laughs> so I was a youth pastor a long time ago, and we did a retreat, a weekend retreat, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And usually, you know, when you do youth retreats, like Saturday night, it's kind of like the big night, you know? You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, it was, a great, it was a great retreat. Lots of wonderful things happened. And Saturday night was lovely. And so I get back to church, and we have our staff meeting the next week, and I'm reporting about the retreat and all that happened. And so I'm sharing, and Saturday night was amazing, it was wonderful, and there's this one young man that I talked about who was just asking great questions, like great questions. And he'd been coming to youth group for a while, and you know, he was like really pressing into it and engaging, and like, what does it mean to be a person of faith, and who is this Jesus? And so I'm talking about this kid, and one of my colleagues says, well, did you seal the deal? And I was like, what did you say? Could, like, let me just give you the benefit of the doubt. What, what? And she's like, did you seal the deal? Like, did, did he cross the line of faith? And I was like, I don't know how comfortable I am with that question. Because I was terribly uncomfortable with that question, right? Like, it had this transactionary nature. Like, this person was a transaction to happen, and I was in charge of it. And if I didn't seal the deal, then I wasn't a good salesperson, Right? which is how it feels sometimes when we're talking about evangelism. You know, slick suits and bad haircuts. It's evangelism sometimes. And sometimes it feels like with evangelism, it's agenda-based, right? Like there's a relationship forged so that something can happen. And if it doesn't happen, then the relationship changes, which is really sad. I've seen that happen. Now, maybe we're painting evangelism in a little bit of a negative light, but I think there's some truth to some of the things that we're talking about. I wonder if there's a way to reimagine evangelism. I wonder if there's a way to take this idea and just see what's happening in the story to help it inform what we understand and what we know and what we believe about this word of someone who bears witness, someone who brings good news. The word 
Evangelism comes from a Greek word. It's called, it's euangelion, which comes from two words put together. EU, you, which is where we get Eucharist, comes from the word good, or means good, and gelion is what we, uh, we get the word angel from, or messenger. So we come to understand euangelion, or evangelism, as someone who brings good news, right? Someone who speaks about, or talks about, or convinces, or br- brings news that's good about something. John the Baptist, in this passage, is an evangelist. He's talking, says to Andrew, uh, Jesus, look, the Lamb of God. Uh, in verse 40, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and says, listen, tells him about this thing that's happening. Jesus finds Philip and says, come and follow. Philip finds Nathaniel and says, you got to see this thing. So what happens in John 1 is a series of interactions where a statement is made, something is claimed about Jesus, and then there are these invitations given to process, to engage, and then they all make some sort of declaration. So I want to note those four things that are happening in this passage and I want to say that the first one and the last one, the, declara- or the, the statement and the declaration, they're actually, you have nothing to do with them. Like, pressure's off, they have nothing to do with you. And only what's in the middle, in the sandwich, these invitations that we see, are what I want to suggest is evangelism. It's, it's what we're invited to do and be. So, let's start with this first one, and we'll just kind of walk through these. Uh, Evangelism of any kind begins with a statement. And in this case, the statement is, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Same, same same, Same idea, different words. Messiah and Christ. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ, it's Jesus the Christ would be a more proper interpretation. What's being said is something about Jesus. The Christ is a title. It's an idea. It's that Jesus is the juice, the energy. He was there before it all began. He holds it together. John says in John 1, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The logos, Jesus, in, in him and through him, all things were made. The Christ is a title. So what's being stated is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who God has given to put it all back together. Evangelism of any kind begins with a statement that's offered as true. And so you can be an evangelist about anything. In this case, the evangelism is about Jesus. But you could be an evangelist about anything. You could say that St. Paul is better than Minneapolis. Oh, snaps! Getting real in her. And you would be an evangelist for St. Paul, right? Like, keep St. Paul boring. All the new stuff, let it happen over there. Keep the traffic over there. It's not that far to drive. We can come and see you. You could say that John Mark Nelson is the best singer-songwriter in the Twin Cities. You would be an evangelist for John Mark at that point. See, when you leave town, you never know what's going to happen. John Mark is in California right now, my friends. Just saying... So you could say that. You could say that, uh, you know, The Crown is the best show on Netflix right now, right? You'd be an evangelist for The Crown. You could say that, well, actually, somebody at Awaken, Joe Morocco, says that Mike Sveda, who is in our presence today, is one of the best coffee roasters in the Twin Cities. Yeah. So he's an evangelist for you, Micah. He has a great name, too. Right? <laughs> so you can be an evangelist about anything. It's just a statement that's offered as true about something, and, and if you're the one giving it, you're bearing witness to. You're bringing that good news. You're saying that that's true. Now, here's the, post, the piece to remember again, okay? If there's four things we're talking about today, the first one and the last one, 
the statement that's made and the declaration, these have nothing to do with you. So whatever pressure any of you have ever felt in evangelism, whatever sense of like, I gotta get it right, I gotta, there's a lot of this that you have no control over. So take heart, my friends, fear not, pressure's off. If Jesus is the Messiah, it's true whether you do anything about it or not. Whether you uh, attempt to talk about it, if it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. So no pressure on that one, right? Now, that's not your responsibility. That's not my responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to argue that Jesus is the Christ. If it's true, it's true. And if it isn't, it isn't, and we're all foolish. I don't think we are. That's not our responsibility. The question then is, what is? So what's our role in evangelism? And I think these two invitations that we see in John 1 are at the heart and the soul of our part, of your part, of my part, for those who are convinced of this truth that Jesus is the Messiah. So what are they? Invitation number one, come and see. In verse 39, Jesus says to Andrew and the unnamed disciple, come and see. And then again in verse 49, 46, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. It's pretty technical. <laughs> I just kidding, everybody. It's not. It's really, it's pretty simple. Come and see. It sounds like a nine-year-old who just got a new toy at Christmas, right? Like, do you remember when you were little and you got like a new car or a new Lego set and you were like gathered all your friends and you sat them down across the table, knee to knee, knee to knee, toe to toe, eye to eye, and you put down five reasons why you believe this was the best Lego set ever and why they should believe that too. No, you're just like, come check out my Lego set or my new doll, or whatever it is you got, right? You just invited people to come and see what you saw. Like, what if evangelism is that simple? If you've seen something, you invite people to come and see what you've seen. That's it. It's quite, it's quite simple. It's not about convincing anyone of anything. It's not about arguing about the truths of the world or about Jesus or anything. It's not about knowing all the answers to the deepest questions of the human heart. It's just, come and see. Come and see. Now, if that's at the heart of evangelism, just the invitation, the willingness to say to someone, come and see, there are some implications by saying that. One is that there is something to see. <laughs> right? Like if you, if you say, come and see the greatest show on earth, and then they come and it's really bad and boring and dumb. You're a liar. And they won't believe you or ever come back. So if you say, come and see, it assumes that something is happening here. I would say that the resurrection life of Jesus must be alive and present and active in you and in us for people to come and see. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. There's something happening, a work happening in Paul, that he says, come and see. Come and look at it. Come and check it out. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean that your life has to be like, you know, tip-top shape at all, all times. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that we can't fake it. Right? Like, we can't say one thing and then live something totally opposite. It does mean that there has to be some congruency in our character as people. If we're going to say, come and see then with increasing degrees, with an, with an increasing level, there has to be integrity and congruency in my life. That my insides match my outsides more and more and more and more and more. Right? That is a challenge in some ways. 
We can't be people who invite folks to come and see the work of Christ in our lives if there's no evidence of the work of God in our life. It also implies that there's compelling Christian community to be seen and had here, which is a challenge to us as the church. If we say to people, friends, you're not, you just have to come and see what God is up to at Awaken. Like something is happening here, and I'd love for you to come and see it. And if they come and they experience exactly what they experience in their family or in their systems that are happening in their lives every day, then there's nothing for them to see. Like, we can't say come and see and then have people experience everything they experience day in and day out at their jobs and in their families and in their workplaces and in the systems of our culture, right? Like, if fear and antagonism and greed and self-preservation and protecting yourself at all costs is what people experience every day, then they can't come here and experience that too. Rather, they have to experience humility and grace and sacrificial love and the willingness to defend others at cost to self. Now there's something to see. Now there's authentic work of the Spirit of God at work in our midst. So it is a little bit of a challenge to us as the church, is it not? If we're going to be the ambassadors that Paul calls us in Ephesians of this good news of reconciliation and restoration, then the Spirit has to actually be alive in us and in our community. Lastly, I would say, if we're going to say come and see, we have to be willing to give people access to our real lives. Have you ever been to a spiritual community or a church before and felt like someone on stage was inauthentic? Raise your hand if you've had that experience. Look around you. Keep them up. Keep them high. Don't be shy. Raise your hand if you're sure. Like this is a common experience among religious places where people have an inauthenticity is experienced, right? Where who we show or what we present is not necessarily who we actually are. This is also called Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> right? The story we tell ourselves about ourselves is what we post on Instagram. Nobody posts their worst day on Instagram. Is there anybody out there that's doing that? That should that'd be a fun one to like create an account and just be like, our actual worst days. And that's all it was. You know, like when you lose it with your kids or you like throw something through a wall or you just scream curses at somebody while driving and it's like caught on your story. Ah, right? <laughs> that, that would be an interesting one. You're like flipping through it at the doctor and somebody's like, God, oh my gosh. <laughs> if we're going to say come and see, I want to suggest that there has to be an appropriate level of self-disclosure among us where we're honest with ourselves and we don't pretend to be something that we're not. Yes, there's growth and change and maturing happening right here, live. And that means we're messy people and we make mistakes, but we offer who we actually are to one another. If we're going to say, come and see, it's going to require that. I want to read just an excerpt from a book that I've been reading. It's called A Bigger Table. And I think he nails it on this one. He says, But maybe there's a better path to building community and to being in redemptive relationships with people. One where we come not to change or fix or convert them, but simply to reflect Christ to them and trust that that is enough. What if leading people to Jesus wasn't about closing the deal with a magic prayer or getting people to come tearfully down a church aisle in the manufactured urgency of lights and crescendoing worship songs? 
What if sharing the gospel is really a matter of giving people a daily front row seat to a life that looks like Christ? What if the way we best make disciples is by showing people the fullest incarnation of Jesus that we can manage and resting in that? Come and see. Come and see. The second invitation that follows is equally as simple, and it's Jesus' response to Philip. Come and follow. If you've seen something that's engaging and that's compelling and that's interesting to you, come and follow, which basically just means come closer, come nearer, draw close, come and follow. It's quite simple. Watch what I do. Do what I do. Become what I'm becoming. Be like me. This is Paul's invitation. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, what are the implications of saying come and follow? I mean, if we're willing to say come and see, and then we're willing to say come and follow to someone who's interested or or compelled by the story of the gospel, I think it's going to mean that we're invited to give up control. If we say come and follow, and what we mean by that is come and follow the resurrected Jesus, then it's going to require you and I to give up control of our propensity to control the outcome. To be the one who's at work helping change something. If we say come and follow, what it involves is letting go of the responsibility that we often assume about everybody's behavior. What if it's about trusting that as people get closer to the heart of Jesus, they change? Because as I have gotten closer to the heart of Jesus, I change. If we say come and follow, in some ways it's an invitation to let go of the outcome and of people's particular choices or habits or behaviors and to trust that something else is involved and happening in our midst and among us. When we invite people to come and follow, if we're going to do that and we're going to release people to the Spirit's care, to God's care, then it places us intentionally in a position where we, de- we desperately need the Spirit of God to work in our midst. Do you see what I'm saying? When we first started this church, I sat and I talked to people and I said, what I want for my life is I want to be in a place where I, like, I have to depend on the Spirit at work, where I can't manufacture all the things that need to happen, but it has to be a work of God in our, among us. Like, I want to intentionally put myself in that place. That's the kind of character I want to be 20 years from now, so this is what the kind of space I need to inhabit now in order for that to happen, right? I put myself in that space because I wanted to be that kind of person. We say we want to be a church that depends on the Spirit of God. And saying, come and follow, places us as a community, and just come and follow. When we say just come and follow Jesus, it makes us, it puts us desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit for the transformation and the change that needs to occur in people's lives. Because I only need to look in the mirror when I wake up in the morning to know that there's work that needs to be done. Amen? Wait, no, don't say that. (laughs) In you, there needs to be work, right? Amen? Yeah, amen. We can all say that. It's not that I'm saying that transformation doesn't need to happen. It's not that I'm saying that conviction of sin doesn't need to happen in my life. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it's not your job. I'm saying it's not my job. As pastor of this spiritual community, it's not my job to convict people of change that needs to happen in their life. That's the work of God. That's the work of the Spirit. The Scriptures say it all over the place. So when we say, come and follow, period, 
Not come and follow and do this, 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 and that. Change these things about your life and, and, until you do your... No, if we just say, come and follow, we have to trust that the Spirit of God is at work in our midst. Because if it isn't, we're all sunk. It's the blind leading the blind, right? So I'm proposing the possibility that we intentionally move into a space where we just say, come and see. Come and follow. And in doing so, we relinquish control over outcomes and we hand that back to the one who deserves it and had it all in the beginning anyways, which is God and not you and me. And we trust that the Spirit's at work in our midst and that where change needs to happen in my life, as I move closer to Jesus, as I follow Jesus, as I get closer to the well, those things come into the light. Now, sometimes, of course, the Spirit uses trusted friends in my life to say, Micah, you're an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Right? But that's an invitation of partnership. The responsibility, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's the Spirit's. It's God's work. Come and see. Come and follow. As a church, we want to be intentional about creating spaces where that kind of work can happen in our lives. Life groups and Bible studies and covenant groups. Yes, absolutely. That's why we're here. It's why, you, it's why you pay us in some ways to help lead that for this community. But in terms of who's responsible, it's not you. So, good news, everybody. You're not responsible for that. It's not your job. Like, whatever pressure you felt that to argue and to like, get people to just hands off. Come and see. Come and follow. If there's something authentic happening here, if Jesus is who he said he was, and that's actually changing our lives, all that needs to happen is for you and for I to say to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, come and see. Come and follow. Like, see for yourself. And if you think I'm crazy, say I'm crazy. But I tell you what, I experience more love and more grace and more hope and more light in my life as I get closer to this person called Jesus. And I, I just testify. What if evangelism isn't some grand, you know, coercion experience where somebody seals the deal or gets somebody to cross some line of faith, but rather it's just a group of people who have seen something and felt something and experienced something in the love and the grace and the gift of God in Christ and who just say, come join us. Come and see. Come and follow. I'll close with this. I would be dishonest if I didn't point out in the text that each of the people that comes in contact with this news, this statement that is made about Jesus the Christ, responds. They declare something. They interact with it. They, they say yes or they say no. They react to it. It's not ambivalence. Each person, in their own way, responds to what's being stated about Christ. John says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Andrew tells his brother, we found the Messiah, the Christ. Philip tells Nathaniel, this is the one Moses and the prophets spoke about. Nathaniel declares, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Each of them take in what's being said and what's being offered as true, and with their own agency and with their own will, they declare something about it. And then they aligned their agency and their will in the world to that tune and so I would offer to you this morning two things. One, can you say, come and see, come and follow? Like, is there anyone in your life, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, 
If Paul says, you the church, you are the ambassadors of this thing, this good news, is there anybody in your life who you would feel comfortable saying, come and see? And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not comfortable saying that yet. Totally cool. Like maybe you're here checking it out and you're not sure. And you're not sure what you could declare about Jesus the Christ. That's okay. Welcome. Glad you're here. Stay as long as you need. If you do, if you can, if you have said, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Is there someone in your life that you could say, come and see, come and follow? First question. Second question is, what could you declare about Jesus today? Maybe you haven't gotten all the way to Jesus as the Christ, but what could you declare about him? What do you know about him from what the scriptures say? Could you declare Jesus was good? Okay, let's start there. Could you declare Jesus had something else going on. Like there was a mojo that he had that others didn't. Okay. Can you say that? Jesus was an incredible teacher. Okay. Jesus, if I'm going to emulate my life after anyone, Jesus is my guy. Okay. Like what can you declare about that statement? Because it's not an ambivalent statement. It's not something you can just sort of say, oh, I heard that today, but it's not really that important. I would suggest that it is. So, who can you say come and see, come and follow to? And what can you declare about this Jesus the Christ? Because that's what's presented in this passage. So I present it to you for your consideration this morning. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather, I want to create a little bit of space for uh, my friends to consider and think about. For those that are convinced of who you are uh, and what you said that you are the Christ, would you bring to mind, can, would you bring faces into our mind's eye of people that we might just say, come and see, come and follow. And for those who are on the journey of wondering and questioning the claims of this book and this person, Jesus, would you give whatever courage is necessary to declare whatever can be declared today and meet us in the middle of that. So Holy Spirit, as we take a few moments of silence, meet us, speak to us, I pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.